Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Got really quiet for a second. And now we're back. So, um, good morning. <laughs> everybody avoids this table because they don't want to see the back of their heads. I'm like, my bald spot. Um, well, Sam is... I think he's home now. I know he was here earlier to open the doors, but he is still on vacation. Um, actually, uh, you know, recently back in town after what I think sounds like a harrowing family vacation. Um, it looked like the pictures was fantastic. They were enjoying families with the whole family, so the grandkids and everything. But if you follow him on any kind of social media, you know that he maybe also took a little spill on a scooter. And um, my wife is texting me right now. If you're watching, hi, honey. Um, so he, uh, he had a little, a little ouchie. So uh, prayers up for him, and I'm glad that he's back, mostly safe and sound. Last week, Sam was also on vacation, so we had the pleasure of hearing Brian share, which was awesome. Brian inspires me as a human, and um, when I get to hear all the things that he's been up to, because I hadn't, I hadn't realized so many of the things that you do uh, until last week, and I was like, man, I feel lazy now. <laughs> um, but yeah, when I'm too tired to do good, I think about uh, the way Brian sees the world and opportunity, and it's a gut check every time. So glad to hear from him last week. Um, we, mis- we, we miscommunicated last week, and I, I, uh, we talked about him doing music today, and he was like, maybe not because it's birthday weekend, so happy birthday, too. Um, and so there's no music today because I, I never confirmed with him, and uh, he partied too much. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So this week you're stuck with just me, and I think it's going to be a short one, so we'll see. Um, first, a little housekeeping. There is a pop-up event at Genesis Works on Saturday, yeah? Genesis Works on Saturday, uh, August 13th from 5 to 9 with Chef J. Fran. Jeff J. Fran? J. Fran. Uh, it's an 80s theme, so if you're going, I don't know the cost, so you can find the cost anywhere. 12 bucks um, for an 80s theme night of uh, it looks like food and fun. So um, Genesis Works next Saturday. 
And then also, uh, I always forget this whenever I'm asked to teach, which is amazing that I keep getting asked because I always forget to say you guys can give to the church, to the ministry here. So uh, there's several ways you can support what happens at Genesis, and you can find all those on the website, which is thegenesisstory.com. And there they are. You can uh, support what happens here. I know that we're a, a small uh, but lovely fellowship here on Sunday mornings, but there is a lot of people that are listening, uh, both online and, and especially on the podcast. Uh, so support the work here. Uh, wanted to say that we're glad that Gil is here today. You know, health scare. I know that Rick is glad. He's not flying solo today. Wanted, wanted to also say, my wife is actually at the works building teaching the kids, so I want to say thanks for that work too, because that's important and often overlooked work um, that we have a space for our kids, and um, nobody wants to be over there with them for some reason. Nobody. <laughs> um, so today I wanted to talk to you guys about some stuff. I hope that's okay. Um, everybody's pretty familiar with, I think everybody's pretty familiar with the New York skyline. And if you close your eyes and think about New York, you could probably see those buildings. It's pretty iconic. Maybe the most recognizable city skyline in the world. Most people are also aware of, you know, Times Square and the hustle and bustle of New York and what the city streets look like, at least in your mind, if you've never been there, you can still imagine what it might be like to walk along one of those sidewalks. And then everybody is familiar with the subway system, even if you've never ridden it, because you've seen it in movies and on TV and in books and in pictures. So you have Skyline, you have city streets, you have subway, and they say the subway is something like 772 miles of tunnel. But even more crazy than that is below that is the sewer system in New York City, which they say is about 6,000 miles of sewer systems. So you can imagine this complex circuit of sewer pipes. So you have skyline, you have city streets, you have subway, and you have sewer. You have layers. You have layers on top of layers. Back, and those, you know, it's crazy to me as I found out. I mean, I guess this, this is just obvious stuff, but when, you, when you're reading something, you're like, man, those subway systems are over 100 years old. Crazy, right? Back in 1875, when subways were, were new, and on the streets of New York, they were also having these new modes of public transportation called electric trolleys. Uh, throughout the city... These things were cutting edge, and they were, you know, they were both wonderful and fantastic and fascinating as they were scary for a lot of people. And kind of the unsung story that we don't often hear about is how those trolleys were causing massive accidents because people were, you know, horse and bugging, and these things were faster than that. And they were, they were known to hit people trying to cross the street because they didn't have any context for the speed of a trolley car and you're used to just walking across the street because you can, you can walk in front of a horse and buggy. But when the trolleys came, they couldn't stop fast enough 
and people were getting hit and maimed and killed all the time in New York. And so they coined the phrase, trolley dodgers. So if you were going to cross the street, if you're going to take your chances across the street, you were a trolley dodger. And this is important because this is where we get the name for a baseball team, the Brooklyn Trolley Dodgers. And then they eventually dropped trolley and became the Brooklyn Dodgers, who are now our beloved hometown team. <laughs> R.I.P. Vin. Um, but did you know before that they were called the Brooklyn Bridegrooms? <laughs> so the Dodgers is way cooler. What does this have to do with Jesus? Absolutely nothing. This is Dodger trivia. This is Dodger trivia. <laughs> in New York, back in New York for a minute, you have that majestic skyline. You have crowded city streets. Below the surface, you have a subway system and a complex circuit of sewers. Like I said, layers on top of layers on top of layers on top of layers. But beneath all those layers, the most important thing, that this word that I didn't even know existed, the Manhattan schist. And I practiced saying that because I didn't want to blow it. <laughs> the Manhattan schist is the subterranean bedrock of the city. This is what all those buildings, all those sewers, all those subways, all those city sidewalks and streets, they're built upon the subterranean bedrock called the Manhattan schist, the foundation. In 1865, I read this story about a civil engineer that published a topographical map of the island of Manhattan. And he superimposed the location uh, of all the streams and waterways with a grid of the city streets. So engineers who were building, and there was a lot of building obviously happening, they continued to reference that map. And it's still uh, a key to building anywhere these kind of maps that you can see what is bedrock and what is not. So everybody used his map for years and years and years and years to figure out where it's safe to build, except for one engineer who uh, was tasked with constructing the Chase Manhattan Plaza, which was built on a stream bed. He did not look at the map. If he did, he would have known that in 1865, a stream ran right where they were digging. And instead of bedrock, they discovered quicksand. And so you can imagine the cost and how difficult it was for them to restructure, rebuild, and do everything they needed to do to get Chase Manhattan Plaza built. Now, I hope this is starting to sound a little more like Jesus, because this is about Matthew 7, where Jesus talks about building on a bedrock or building on sand. Are you with me, church? Yes. <laughs> can, can I get an amen? amen. All right. <laughs> Last week, Brian mentioned um, that he was in process, that, that he was in the middle of uh, what's called deconstruction. And by way of keeping it real, I am as well. And I think that several of us are, not everybody, but a lot of us are. And some of us might be thinking, what, what does that even mean? I'm not sure what deconstruction is, or, or I've heard things about it, and I think it's uh, beyond me or whatever. So 
I wanted to give us kind of a working definition straight out of Wikipedia. It goes like this. Uh, faith deconstruction, also known as deconstructing faith, evangelical uh, deconstruction, or the deconstruction movement, is a phenomenon within American evangelicalism in which Christians rethink their faith and jettison previously held beliefs. Jettison typically, or typically, formerly held beliefs. Typically, they're jettisoning, jettisoning or getting rid of or rethinking or reformulating beliefs because they have new knowledge. And they're finding that what is actually true was not what they were taught. And so do I hold on to this even though I know it's false? Or do I push that aside and get back to what's real? And some people are finding that. Some people are having um, PTSD from church abuse. And so they no longer want that kind of culture in their life. Other people uh, are just having personal experiences that are not in line with what they were taught. And so people have a lot of different reasons. But the bottom line is deconstructing isn't uh, evil. It's not from the pit. You don't have to be afraid of it. It's really something that you actually do probably all the time with all things in life. We deconstruct philosophies. We deconstruct uh, ideas we had when we were a child and we grew up and realized that reality is different. And so we just kind of do these things naturally throughout. And there are many layers. There are skylines and streets and subways and sewers and every layer has a consideration. Now, it may sound scary. Deconstruction may sound scary to you. And if you're deconstructing, you know it can feel scary. I used to be a youth pastor years and years and years and years and years ago. And um, I remember um, we had a kid named Daniel. And everybody at the church that I was involved in at the time called him Pastor Daniel because everybody knew he was going to grow up and be a fantastic preacher because he loved Jesus so much. And then he went to college. And the next time I saw Daniel, he was telling me that, like, without saying this word, because this wasn't a sexy word back then, he was saying, I started digging in to what I believed, and I found out there was nothing underneath where I was standing. And so I took a step over here, because I still believe that, and I started, then I started digging in here. And I found there was nothing to it. So he kept moving around, trying to find some semblance of real faith, and that feels scary. If you've ever demoed a house or an office site or a construction site, you may or may not know. I'm not, I can't even build IKEA furniture. But you, you might know that tearing down an old building isn't just about swinging hammers and bulldozing walls, running roughshod uh, over, the, over the entire site. But I do know that there are steps. There are best practices, even in deconstructing a house. You prep, right? You want, you want to first make sure you've moved everything important out, <laughs> right? You want to make sure that if you love that couch, it's not going to be demoed with the house. So you, you prep for this demolition. You move out the furniture. You shut off the utilities before you start 
tearing down drywall or wood, you locate any load-bearing walls, beams. There are some things you'll want to salvage, like wiring and piping wherever possible. Because a lot of times the idea is you're going to build something else on that foundation. You're going to want to rebuild something new here. So some people go as far as pulling nails out of floorboards to preserve the frame, the framework of the, of the construction. But once you're done, you have a foundation on which to build again. And that foundation is what matters most. So maybe uh, I, f I find this to be true of myself. When I, when I started questioning things, I've been doing this my entire Christian life. I started you know, sitting under teaching, being taught things, and then eventually things being like, Wait, that doesn't seem connected to reality. <laughs> That doesn't, even as a youth pastor, I was questioning, why am I a youth pastor? There's no youth ministry in the Bible. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I'm just saying, like, you know, at that time, in a very fundamentalist upbringing, I was saying, like, this is not, everything had to be biblical, but what I'm doing doesn't even seem to be here. What is the foundation for you? Where is it safe to rebuild faith if you need to? How far is too far? when you're looking for the truth under your feet and you're moving around, how far is too far? Is there too far? I want to share just a little bit. This is my experience, and this is where I'm at. And I'm not sharing this because you need to know where I'm at. I'm sharing this because maybe it'll speak something to where you're at. So Matthew 7, starting in verse 24, Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blow, the blue and, and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Father, we thank you for this morning, for this family, for this gathering, for this time together. And I pray that you would uh, give us the wisdom to really seek you out in the midst of so many confusing times that we live in. And I pray that uh, we would find ourselves standing on the cornerstone. And we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. In this parable, Jesus paints a word picture. It's two types of construction, right? It's the kind of place that everybody wants to live in and the kind of place that nobody wants to live in. It's the kind of place that will lead to a life of purpose and a kind of life that is going to be going off the rails to various extremes. And when we get to this passage, it's always important to know context, right? So when we get to this passage, we are at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus gave 
the longest, well, I don't know, the, the, the longest written sermon that we have at least, the longest sermon that we have record of. And here's the mic drop. Jesus says, you've just heard what I have to say about life. Do it and live wisely or don't at your own peril. And he drops the mic, right? <laughs> and I'm like, dang, Jesus, that's heavy. This passage sounds a little bit like words that you would read from the books of wisdom. For example, Proverbs 10.25. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. Proverbs 12.7 says, The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous stands firm. But when I was looking through this, this passage in Isaiah 28, verses 16 and 17, I thought was the most interesting. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. And by contrast, verse 17 I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plum tree. Hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie, and water will overthrow your hiding place. Here, Isaiah gives us this, this, another, I guess, warning to scoffers who will not heed the word of the Lord, who will not hear what's being said. And for me, what becomes apparent about what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7 is that Jesus sees himself he sees his teaching as this rock, as this sure foundation. That means a lot of things because um, by contrast, Jesus is saying, my teachings that you have just heard are the rock on which you build. Not anything else, not what you've been taught, not what you've heard before, not the Bible, but these words. Not dismissing the Bible, don't, don't get too scared. This is how we have his words. It's important. But it's important that we recognize what is actually being said as well. One hears and does and is safe. One hears and does nothing and is in danger. The storms will come, my friends. The winds will blow the hail will sweep away at things in our lives. And you might be rebuilding. Now, today, you might be rebuilding your faith or your life after a divorce or your life after a tragedy. You, your finances after COVID or recovering from addiction. You can insert your pain point here. You might be deconstructing some things because you were taught Something is truth that you now know is not. But the bottom line is this. The dug down deep foundation is where the buck stops. For me, at least, the teachings of Jesus are the schist, the bedrock, the cornerstone, the foundation. So if you find yourself in deconstruction mode, 
and you start to feel like the rug has been pulled from underneath your feet, remember that Jesus said that this is where you can stand. When you can't find this truth or that truth or this looks a little different today than it did yesterday, he said this is where you can stand. Build your house on the rock. But we can't just read the words he taught and think that is the end because that's exactly what he's saying not to do. We are to be the ones that hear and do and be action people. What if our kids treated our words the way we treat Jesus' words? Or when you were a kid, what if you, tra- you treated, you know, your parents, your parents told you to do something and you're like, okay, and you didn't do it. Some of us would get a whooping. What if I said, my boy's back here, I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> what if I said, you guys, I need you to clean your room. And you said, okay, yeah, dad, we'll clean it. And then the next day, you look at your room and you're sitting on the bed talking and this room is still thrashed. Not that this would ever happen. <laughs> and I said, what happened? And, you, and they look, you guys look at me and go, I don't know, what do you mean? I told you to clean your room. And then they go, well, we memorized what you said. (laughs) Judah can say it in the Greek. (laughs) Later on, we're going to have a little, our friends are going to come over and we're going to study what you said. But if the room is still dirty, no one has done what has been said. See, it's one thing to break it down and receive it, and it's something else entirely to put it into your life. And this is the struggle. This is my struggle. This is personal, right? I am no saint. I walk around a walking box of contradictions on a good day. I let Jesus down. I let my wife down. I let my kids down. I let myself down far too often. I have spent a lot of time constructing things on sand because I am I am uh, uh, because, I, because I've been taught something and I haven't taken the time to really question why I was taught this and is it really true I have spent a lot of time building that house on the sand because I do not want to do the work of digging down deep or facing my own intellectual questions because this is what I was taught or this is how it's always been done. And if I'm being you know, crazy straight honest, I'm, I'm too afraid sometimes to ask those tough questions because I don't know how seismic the answer is going to be if I pull it all apart. But you guys know what James says. James 1.22, he says... Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Man, it's so simple sometimes. Build your house on the rock. If Jesus declares his teachings to be the cornerstone on which we are to build our house, we ought to know more. Sam spent a lot of time going through the Sermon on the Mount. And if you, if you missed it or if you need a refresher... 
The whole series is called The Politics of Jesus. It was really helpful, really insightful. And I'm not going to cover the Sermon on the Mount today because you would hate me. But here's the Cliff Notes version. One day he was traveling near the Sea of Galilee. Jesus decided to speak to his disciples. I love this too because like, I'm going to, if I'm ever up here talking to you guys, I have prepared for at least a day, right? Jesus is like walking. He's like, I think I'll talk right now. And he gives the best sermon that's ever been preached. A wordsmith beyond. Jesus went up on a mountainside, it says in 5.1, Matthew 5.1, and gathered his core disciples around him, and the rest of the crowd kind of just found places along the mountainside to sit and listen in order to hear the kind of thing that Jesus is teaching to his closest friends and disciples. The Sermon on the Mount is, again, by far the longest explanation that we have of what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus, which means to be a subject in the kingdom of God. He taught, for example, about things like prayer and justice and care for the needy, handling the religious law, divorce, fasting, judging, salvation, and, and so many other things. In the end, the point of the Sermon on the Mount is that his followers should live a noticeably different way than other people because his followers have a much higher standard of conduct, a bar set very high, the standard of love and selflessness that Jesus embodied and put on display and left as an example. These are the things. This is the teaching. This is what Jesus says are the cornerstone. It's safe to build here, he says. Under the skyline, the streets, the subways, the sewers, through the complexities of deconstructing ideas that have proven themselves wrong or useless, through the hurt of torn relationships, through whatever you find yourself doing, feeling, thinking today, if you're ready to rebuild, Jesus says, this is the bedrock. This is ground zero. This is the Manhattan schist. And it's safe to build your life here. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you again for this time, for these people, for your word. We thank you that we're not just floating around, grabbing on to whatever might work, but we have an actual place to start and ingrain, ingrain in us and our hearts and in our, and, uh, and our living the things that make us look like you and help us to love like you and help us to see the world the way you do. And we ask for that help in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.